Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to the Way of the Showman, where we view the world through the lens of showmanship. I am your gracious host, Captain Frodo. And first of all, I would just like to extend a big thank you from my wife to you all for taking the pressure of her having to listen to me going on about occult philosophies of showmanship, evolution, meaning of life, and blah, blah, blah. It really is lovely to have you to talk to. As I keep mentioning, uh, one of the most rewarding things of this show, uh, on top of the fact that my wife is happy that I don't have to go on about these things to her all the time, is the feedback that I get. And one of the most, one of the most amazing things that happened was that one morning I woke up to a message from a very good friend of mine, Mr. Shep Huntley. Shep Huntley was a very pivotal figure in my life. He was part of an extraordinary event that was directly led to the rest of my life, uh, being the way it was, the way that I ended up in Australia and all that. But uh, that's a tale for another time. But it was him who got me out of the dark hole that I had dug for myself in uh, Copenhagen in the late 90s. Anyway, it turns out that after listening to my second episode, um, Mr. Shep Huntley was uh, inspired and he has written a uh, poem. And uh, the poem is left untitled, it just says For Frodo. And Shep is an Australian performer, excellent performer and MC, a master showman, and uh, he has a um, love for um, the Australian bush poetry. And for those who don't know that, it's kind of like Waltzing Matilda is a famous bush poem, Banjo Patterson, bush poet. Anyway, it's uh, it starts out in a simple rhythm and simple rhymes, but it builds towards a good emotional climax, much like any good bush poetry. So I'm going to read that for you now. I used to be a showman. I used to do a show. I used to travel everywhere, not caring where I go. People came from miles around just to see the sights of a showman doing show tricks under showman's lights. The people came together and they formed a crowd, clapping, cheering, sometimes jeering, sometimes quiet, sometimes loud, all the time responding to the showman and his way. And when the show was over, all would shout hooray. And then the show was packed up, put back in its case, and the showman would go out to meet the smiling faces that hug and cry and mill around and slap him on the back, and then the showman would head off down the dusty track, because there always was another place, another place to go, another crowd to please when the showman did his show. But now the shows are over, the way has disappeared Showbiz is extinguished, and the showman's grown a beard. Now he tends his garden almost every day, and wonders when the time will come when he can head out on the way. His reason for existence, the melody of his song, the fibre of his being, all 
those things are gone. For the showman now is lonely, the crowds have all gone home, and when there is no show to do, the showman stands alone. The showman needs the people to clap and to adore, for when there is no audience, the showman is no more. Thank you, Shep Huntley. That is some lovely writing right there. He's always been a good writer. He wrote all, most of whatever was said with the Happy Sideshow that we toured with, he said. And he, well, he wrote, and it was all excellent. And uh, he has, uh, based on a response, because he published this on his Facebook, so if you're a friend with Shep Huntley, or if not, you can probably find him on Facebook and find his poetry there, because he has then gone on to write uh, at least one more poetry called The Reprobate's Lament, which is an excellent read. And uh, he's written a few other excellent, uh, very Australian poems there as well. But um, this, although it does uh, seem like our industry has uh, gone down the hill and has died, um, I, another thing that I also found on social media, this, maybe it's because I have been in, uh, I'm in the last few days here of a 10-day quarantine in a gorgeous place in Norway, and perhaps I've had a little bit more time than I had when I was super busy packing up my house and uh, packing away my life that I had expected was going to be a very long stay in Las Vegas was cut short and and anyway maybe I've uh, in my lapse of attention and uh, activities I have spent more time on social media and some of the fruits of this is going to become apparent right here now because as an almost a reply and a kick in the butt um, to change the way that I look upon the current situation the pandemic it all has been feeling so strange and so new and i have been thinking and probably most of us have been thinking that this is a completely new and strange situation but um then not so long ago a few days ago uh an acquaintance uh, ira seidenstein posted uh, a little uh, post on Facebook where he says every day when he does his stretches and his exercises he pulls out a book more or less at random and he opens it and reads and the passage that he found that day I think is absolutely extraordinarily apt for our time so I will read it the book that he happened to pull out of his well-stocked bookshelf on circus theater and the Arts and Crafts of uh, Performing was a book by Joe Adamson, uh, a book from 1973 on the Marx Brothers. And it goes like this. The Marx Brothers' first attempt at a legitimate musical show was written on the commission by Joe Swirling, with music by Gus Kahn and based on not much more than Chico's unswervable confidence and unshakable desire to do a legitimate musical show. It had a half-hearted story and a stack of half-hearted backdrops and a row of rotten chorus girls in rotten costumes. It played for three days in Battle Creek, Michigan, at the height of a flu epidemic 
that was decimating the country like the plague. The city's schools and churches were all closed, but Minnie managed to talk the mayor into letting the theatre open, so long as only every other seat and every other row was occupied. An audience showed up, but not a whole audience, and everyone in it was antiseptically hooded and masked like refugees from the ride of the clan, and everyone in it feared for his life if the fellow next to him as much as breathed. Nobody was in much of a mood for laughing, which put the stars not in much of a mood for making jokes, which put everybody in even less of a mood for the laughing. The epidemic was so contagious it killed the show, and when the script failed they tried self-admitted improvisation. When improvisation failed, the flu began to look pretty attractive. Now this is an extraordinary account, because it describes exactly what is going on now. And uh, although it makes some reference to the clan marching down, and that, that is a reference that everybody understood that is also weirdly apt for these uh, times. There are scary things going on around the world that comes with these uh, declines of, well, can you call it a decline of civilization? Certainly people are using this as an excuse to do and push extraordinary claims. But anyway, what I find strangely optimistic about this um, quote is that what is going on right now that is making every person I speak to, every producer, is having the same problem at the moment. Here in Europe I have spoken to a few producers because there are shows going on and I have a gig coming up which is very very exciting but I already know now that the gig is going to be in a Spiegel tent and it is only allowed to have half the audience, 50% of the tickets. In a few days there's a big festival here in Haugesund, uh, Norway, a jazz festival, the so-called Herring Jazz, where everyone uh, just gets to listen to jazz and drink uh, music. But here too, every single event can only sell 50% of the tickets. And this seems like a brand new situation. But now, reading this, we go, this has exactly happened before. And uh, the good thing is that although this was in uh, just after the First World War, the Spanish flu came through and the uh, first time it went through and it was bad and then it came back in a second wave and it was devastating. 50 million people or something I believe, I haven't actually researched that, but there's a lot of people that died. Um, we still have a way to go on that one, I'm happy to report. but. The good thing is that eventually, I'm sure it didn't seem so at the time, it did disappear. And uh, theatres went back, vaudeville came back, maybe this uh, show that um, the Marx Brothers put on and never actually came back, it was called The Cinderella Girl, that failed and probably never saw the light of day again. But having read it, it is good to know that it has happened before and showbiz rose again from the ashes, like the famous phoenix. And what else is worth noting is that these times when show business closed down is, at least in my limited experience and knowledge, 
It seems to take a kind of natural disaster to shut it down. A pandemic, or as I mentioned in the first episode about the day that showbiz died, there was another event that, uh, although much, much uh, more limited scale, shut down show business as uh, it was the tsunami outside Fukushima. And we will rise again. And because shows, I think, could be what economists call an elastic commodity. And no, not an elastic, but an inelastic commodity. I am an elastic commodity, being the rubber man, but uh, shows, much like alcohol, um, is an inelastic commodity. If you make it um, unavailable or illegal, it will not just go away, it will resurface in some other way. Can't be gotten rid of. So although the business of shows, in a sense, seems dead now, it is not completely dead. For some of us, it is to be seen as a frog that's been frozen. All its vital signs and all its processes have stopped, they've arrested, but they are not dead, but rather caught in suspended animation, like a wolf taxidermied in the midst of a leap and exhibited at the Natural History Museum in New York, full of life, but unlike the stuffed wolf, there is still life in our industry. Like a dam built across a trickle of a stream, once the build-up is big enough, it will overflow, and sometimes the way that the water finds as it overflows the dam will become a completely new way for the stream to run. A new stream might form permanently even if the dam breaks later. A whole new outlet still running in its gravity-led direction onwards, downwards, towards the lake or towards the great big sea, but in a completely altered direction. This is a special time, and I hope that when things eventually, and it might be in a year, it might be in two years, it might be in five months, no one really knows this timeline, but in this special time I am advocating finding new solutions, taking new steps, looking into what's valuable for yourself and those you love, and pursuing that, as well as looking for new angles and ways to bring your art to the world in this new reality. I was talking before about the frog who gets frozen, and as the temperature thaws, the processes within the frog comes back to life. And it's this word processes which is integral to the essay that we are going to read today. It is a rather philosophical point that I'm trying to make today. Initially the essay was called A Process, Not a Thing, which would become apparent why as you hear me read it. And I think it's a, an important um, way to think about what a show actually is. And I've since uh, learnt of this guy, the philosopher Whitehead, who has created something called process philosophy, which is a whole philosophy that is so complex that I'm not going to even attempt to talk about it here, but I would just like to say that novelty plays an important part in that philosophy, and perhaps we can get back to that another time in the future. Um, I am amazed at the things that 
I, I get interested in. But anyway, I think that enough talk has happened here in this preamble, and it's time for today's essay. Where's my art? I have been a showman all my life. I've not really ever had another job than doing shows. In fact, I've hardly made a dollar from anything but performing. So after all these years as an artist, what do I have to show for it all? Where's my art? I have some money in my account. I have a place to live. I have some things. I have some books. Actually, I have a lot of books. I have this stuff because I have received remunerations from crowds who have enjoyed my performances via clever producers of fabulous events. But ultimately, it's all coming from crowds. The money is the result of the performance, but it is not the art itself. I'd be lying if I claimed money is unimportant. I need to live, of course. I am a husband and a father, the sole provider and breadwinner of my family. Yet money is not the point. If the pursuit of riches was my ultimate goal, would it be deemed wise to spend my time practicing magic, spend years learning juggling from a book, doing street shows without having seen a proper street show before, or when I decided to dedicate myself to becoming a freak show performer? Imagine the businessman who says, I think the real money is made from going on tour in an old ambulance filled with bricks to be smashed on a hermaphrodite. It should be screamingly obvious that the choice was about something else, something inner rather than something outer. I was doing it to fulfill something, a desire which came from inside me, a passion an enthusiasm rather than a monetary gain. Since the tour of Europe in that ambulance in 1998 with a kamikaze freak show, and in truth from a few years before that, I have been living out of a suitcase. All my clothes are black, so that in the limited space available in an airplane regulation-sized and weighted suitcase, every piece of clothing can be worn with every other. I have heard that Einstein had many suits in exactly the same cut and color, so he wouldn't have to spend time choosing his outfits. But uh, people in mental or correctional institutions also dress the same every day. But I digress. My art of entertainment was created because of passions I don't fully understand. I don't know why I am attracted to the things I'm attracted to. Why I find things that are obscure, strange, occult and esoteric so appealing. I don't understand why when I read a review of a book that claims the book is difficult to read or very dense, there is some weird part of me that goes, oh yeah? Bring it on. I don't know why this is. Back to the question at hand, where is my art? As I look back at my production as an artist, the art is strangely absent. I have done thousands of shows. Where are they now? I did shows with my dad for a decade, 
and I only have about five or six paper photographs to show for it. Not one minute of video. Not a single clip of moving images of me and him performing together. These days, with camera phones and video cameras being ubiquitous, that is hard to imagine. I have some scrapbooks in my father's attic in Norway. There are some leaflets from the family circus I performed at this summer in Denmark on a shelf in my Vegas hallway. But these things are just memorabilia. Objects associated with memorable events. Leaflets, posters and advertising postcards are all typical ephemera. The pictures on them tells of the people I did events with and the places where it happened. All the information is on the leaflets, but the event itself is lost, lost in time, because the results of my art, the object of my art itself, is nowhere to be found. There are videos, but strictly speaking, the videos are also not performances per se. A video of my performance is not my art. They are also a form of memorabilia, more complete records than leaflets, but still just records capturing images of the outer aspects of the events. A video is a document of what happened, but it leaves out the feeling in the room and in the hearts of the spectators, the true emotional engagement, the electric feeling. There is a big difference in how something plays on the screen as opposed to how it plays in real life. Much of the kind of tension developed when a clown stands still in the circus ring, doing nothing, something which creates a huge tension in a big top, most often translates to dead time on the small screen. Live timing, live stage or circus ring behavior is not the same as television timing or behavior. When something is created for television or for a movie, it's a different thing. Circus and live performance can be great on television, but it needs a whole production team, camera editing, sound and light on top of the live performance. Then the show is still not fully captured, but has become a new thing. Some video art reflecting my art has been created. One good aspect of video, as opposed to photographs and leaflets, is that video includes the fourth dimension, time. And this, I think, is an important clue, time. A photo of me performing is a three-dimensional object. Some might argue it borders on two-dimensionality, but it's an object nonetheless. This gets to the heart of the tiny bit of insight I want to share today. The photo itself might be art, the hard-won and the expertly created result of a photographer's art project. And a photographer's photo is his art. His art is an object. There's a story to how he got the shot, how he got his camera, the journey he took to capture the image, but the art is the photo. The art is something you can touch, hold in your hand or nail to your wall, you can't nail my shows to the wall, although in 1999 I was nailed to a cross with nails through my arms and one through the head of my cock at the Institute of Contemporary Art in London, 
Still, that experience when the kamikaze freak show, who I travelled in the ambulance with, took to the stage with our beautiful freak performance. It happened at a particular time, at a particular place, but left no physical object behind. After the show we packed our props, our massive cross, the accordion, the concert harp, the hammer and the nails, the needles, swords and tennis racket, in to our Leland Daff ambulance and drove off. We had used all those objects to create the art, but the art itself was nowhere to be seen. It was somewhere though, just not in outer space. My shows are presented on stages, but the art is experienced and exists only in the spectator's inner space. Their experience of the show is the true fruit of my art. The art is the impression it makes on the individual spectator's soul. It is what they take away in their hearts and minds, the emotions it stirred, the thoughts it triggered, and the inspirations for future actions is the true result of my art. So, my art is not a thing. My art is a process. That is why it's so hard to find. For a show is not a thing, it is a process. It's an unfolding in time, much like you and I. You aren't a thing either. Relationships aren't things. Your career or your health are not things. An organism is a living process. Life is not a thing. It's a process. All these things are indeed processes made up of events and experiences in time. Everything that is most important are processes and not things. You, my friend, are an experiencer. And these experiences makes you feel and think and do certain things at certain times. The experiences, like watching me perform, can change you. Maybe you heard something I said. Maybe the images presented triggers something in you. Either way, you will change. Sometimes subtly, other times more profoundly. You learn new things. You form new opinions. Uh, irrespective of my performance, but... Things are being picked up along the way all the time. And all this again leads you towards taking actions you wouldn't necessarily have taken yesterday. You are a work in progress. A process. A show. My art. Life. Are not like crystals. They're like fire. Not like nouns, but like verbs. My art is retained inside and becomes part of a living human being. My thoughts, my actions, and my emotional connections slips into the spectator's living processes, thinking, feeling, and desiring, willing and wanting human beings watch and take in my show, thus becoming the keepers and the guardians and the walking expressions of my art. So in the end, I guess my art is to be found inside the heart of the crowd. I think uh, a lot of the stuff that I think about and the stuff that I write is an attempt to make this frivolous and uh, laughable art and craft 
that we all pursue of doing shows and making people laugh and making people have good times and give people good experiences. Maybe I do all this writing and all this thinking and philosophizing about it to counteract this question that we keep being asked of, what is your real job? And it's comforting to know that the Marx Brothers as well were obsessed by the thoughts and desire to create legitimate musical theatre. I think this whole book that I'm working on, The Way of the Shaman, an occult philosophy of showmanship, which has come on the back burner in the moving process, but now that my daughter will start school again, I will pick up that mantle again and get cranking on that. I think this whole podcast and everything is a response to that question, to justify my existence, the lack of meaning that many of us find and the lack of meaning that people fail to see in what we do. So that's what we're doing here and that's what this discovering the show is a process and not a thing that comes from that and my book is very much about first getting a grip of what showmanship actually is, which can be quite complex when you're thinking hard about relatively simple things and you try to really understand it. Coming up with these things can be quite tricky. But anyway, enough rambling on. It's uh, the end of the episode and again I would just like to urge you, if you enjoy the show, to go over to iTunes where these reviews are being left and it's it's actually incredibly easy to uh, leave a five star review you don't have to type anything if you're listening on iTunes right now and you scroll down and uh, click where the reviews are you can just click five stars there and it's done it takes you two seconds and it's very good for me I also have my website, thewayoftheshowman.com. The essays will be there with some show notes and links to things that I talk about. And with that, all that's left to be said is uh, take care of yourself and those you love. And I hope to see you all along the way.